Welcome to Questions That Matter with Randy Newman. This week we are presenting to you an interview from January 2020 when Art Lindsay discussed strategies for apologetics. Art Lindsay is a senior teaching fellow at the C.S. Lewis Institute and the vice president of theological initiatives at the Institute for Faith, Works, and Economics. He has written Love, the Ultimate Apologetic, The Case for Christ, and True Truth. And Art has a wonderful 20-part video series available for free on the C.S. Lewis Institute website called The Basic Apologetics Course. Now, here are Randy Newman and Art Lindsay. Art, it's wonderful to have you on our podcast. Great to be here with you. Well, Art, you've... um, you have degrees in theology, and you've taught theology, mm-hmm. and you've also studied and taught quite a bit on apologetics. Right. Um, t- tell us just a, a little bit of um, why do you see apologetics as so important in the life of the disciple, in the life of the Christian? Well, I think it's crucial that people uh, be able to see the truthfulness of faith, especially when there are obstacles to it. People can't accept with the heart that which their mind uh, objects to. And I think although intellectual problems are not the sole problems by any means uh, to people coming to, to Christ, I mean, it is with some people. Some, some objections have helped people to be able to at least consider faith in a deeper way. In fact, there's a book by Oz Guinness on doubt, hmm. and he has a chapter in there that talks about seven different kinds of doubt. Hmm. And only one of the kinds of doubt is intellectual doubt. Huh. So certainly there's, there's doubt that comes from spiritual problems, which we can talk about more if you want. But it's also doubt that comes from emotional issues, hmm. like a difficulty committing because of pain in past relationships. And there, the other six of those kinds of doubt are really interesting hmm. to look at. So it's really important when you talk to somebody to sit back and, and listen and discern what the best way to approach somebody is, because it could be that, although they're raising questions, that you need to take seriously, it could be that those are not the real questions. Yeah, good, That there are deeper issues that are there. So, Mm -hmm. obviously, an honest question deserves an honest answer, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you need to discern that they're, and maybe listen longer. Like, if somebody asks you a question, say, that's a good question, but uh, tell me, Give me, give me a couple other questions you might mm, have. And right. People will rarely, if ever, tell you the real issue up front. Yeah, yeah. And so you have to listen for a while to be able to see what's the deepest issue. Because you could end up, it's like a tree. If you want to, uh, you know, somebody's objections could be like little branches out here. Uh, but you want to come back to the trunk and down to the root mm, good, of where good the objection is. Yeah. And so... You know, that takes some discernment. Yeah. And so I'd say listening, in many cases, is a really important part of apologetics. Nice. Because I think my rule, sort of, and it's previous professor's rule, Dr. Gerstner, used to say that you need to be able to state somebody else's position to their satisfaction before you critique it. Mm, good. And so that means really listening. And so it's very easy to start talking, maybe in a defensive way, answering questions and not really listening to the questions that are being asked, but 
It could be you're, even if you're addressing adequately the thing that they raise, you're not really getting to the root issue. Yeah. You know, when I uh, do some trainings for churches and also for our fellows programs, I, uh, I, I do a number of listening exercises. Yep. I pair people up where one person talks and the other person can only ask questions. Yes. And um, it's amazing how many people, uh, when we take breaks during this, they raise their hand and say, this is a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> you know, when we start, yeah. I thought, oh, this is a stupid waste of time. But, you know, I, I, um, one woman raised her hand one time. She said, you know, I realized for the first time that I'm always finishing my husband's sentences. And, and he doesn't like that. <laughs> Imagine that. So, um, so listening. Okay, so you're, you're going in the direction of strategies. And that's where I wanted right. to go. Because there are... There's a lot of information in the world of apologetics, and you've written three books filled with lots and lots of good content of information for us to deliver to people. And we live in a day, I think, with an apologetics wealth on the mm -hmm. Internet that we can go to. So when people ask us a question, if we don't know the answer, it's not hard for us to find content of answers. But... Your books also zoom in on strategies right. about how we deliver the information, not just plop it down, here it is. So, so tell us a little bit about these strategies in apologetics. Okay. Uh, I'd say, it's, first of all, I'd say it's important to be able to know the basic answers to the big questions of faith, and that <clears throat> requires the study of apologetics. You can get through my books, but also there's a resource here we have on the C.S. Lewis Institute website, the basic apologetics course mm. that was 20-hour-long lectures that mm. really addressed the basic answers to the big questions Great. that people ask. But I would say it's very rare that you're going to have a chance to sit down with any of them and be able to expound <laughs> the, the whole or even... Sit down, please. I have 20 hours. No, <laughs> exactly. no, no, no. Make yourself comfortable. I'll bring you water. Just watch these 20 exactly. hours. Yeah, okay, so that's but, not but, a good but, strategy. But often you don't have... Don't even have, you'd be optimistic to have a half hour to present something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Probably it's five minutes or, or way less. Right. Maybe it's a minute or less yeah. that you have to be able to address things. So here's, here's an important thing. When you approach somebody and they're raising questions and that kind of thing, you probably need to discern uh, how open or closed they are. Mm, good. So I'd say the more open somebody is, the more you can use direct forms of argument that you could draw from, you know, the resources that are out there. But the more closed somebody is, the more indirect forms of apologetics you need to use. And that's what we can talk about here is, is more of the indirect Yeah, tell us more. What, when you say indirect forms of apologetics, what are, what are some of those? Okay, uh, I'd say there are a lot of things that I use. I'll give you a few illustrations here. Uh, case, often there are little quotes that I have to use to respond to some, something. Like if somebody points out an example of Christian hypocrisy, you know, church is full of hypocrites or some other specific example of it. Uh, I use a quote like this. B I say, G.K. Chesterton says that the best argument against Christianity is Christians. Huh. Huh. Uh, and they usually laugh and say right. something. But then I follow it up with the second half of the quote. He said the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Ah, good. And when good. I've used it with people, they go, huh, I see it in a different way because I know some... Tremendous examples Good. of people that are believers. So mm -hmm. it's a way of being able to very quickly, I mean, there are a lot of other things you can say to that issue, but that's a good starter. And if that's right. the only thing you can say, at least 
uh, tempers that kind of objection. Uh, or another one that I can think of is uh, I was talking to a top leader in the New Age movement, and she we had these long conversations. We'd go out to lunch or dinner and, and talk about things. But she didn't believe that there was any such thing as sin. Hmm. Uh, really, there was no evil. <laughs> All is one. You know, it was a basic idea. Okay. And so I, I pointed her, number one, to a little book by Scott Peck called People of the Lie. Yeah, That yes. she had read that really thoughtfully wrestles with things. But hmm. the quote that I used with her, I said that, G.K. Chesterton has said, people have given up on the idea of original sin once the only doctrine of Christianity that can be empirically proven. <laughs> and she yes. laughed. Right. And, and then we talked about it a little bit more. And it's interesting. Uh, after about three or four months, I called her again. She'd been traveling. And, and the first thing uh, she said when she got on the phone is, I've been thinking about this whole thing of, of sin for the last three or four months. I can't get it out of my mind. Good, good. I mean, there's something wrong in the world. And, yes. And, and, but she didn't have any basis. Right. To be able to say so. Ah, good. But somehow that that illustration of the book we'd read, yes. or that little quote, really uh, spoke to her and, and got sort of under her skin. Nice. Probably better than giving a lengthy argument would do. I mean, we did talk about it some, but nevertheless, that little quote, I think, really had good. a chance to uh, uh, get get there. Or, or somebody that really wants to be endlessly open. Hmm. You know, wants to be never really uh, decide about anything that's particularly true. I have this another classic quote from Chesterton that says, "The purpose of opening the mind, as it as in opening the mouth, is to close it on something solid." <laughs> Good. You know, Good. these little quotes. I mean, right. you can use them at the right point, right, uh, to be able to uh, open up the discussion. Good. Let me underline a couple of things you've yeah. said because you're because this is good and um, I don't want people to miss this. Uh, so some of the strategies. One of the things you just said was that we want to try to temper the objection. I think that's a really good strategy in a lot of cases because I think a lot of Christians think, "How do I defeat the objection? How do I answer the objection?" And we do need that, but sometimes yeah. just the first stage is tempering it of lowering some of the heat or making people think, oh, wait a minute, maybe I need to rethink this. So that's one strategy. Another one you, you're saying about quotes, but so yes, we need to memorize just a handful of quotes that we can use. Quotes that make people laugh, I think are particularly powerful. Yeah. There's something about laughter and laughing together. You say the quote, they laugh, the two of you laugh. It's like, oh, we're now on the same side laughing at something. And laughter opens up people to consider it. One more. You said, um, you, uh, you said something to, to get under her skin. Uh, sometimes that's a very, very crucial strategy of just saying something. Um, we, we, we need to do it lovingly, but we want to bother people. Um, mm -hmm. I think Greg Kukul is the one who talks about putting a pebble in their shoe. Yep, exactly. We want to do something that just like, well, wait a minute. I've always thought this, but you know, ah, and for some people, they, they need to be uncomfortable for three months. I, I think for me, I, I needed to be uncomfortable about <laughs> things, about this whole thing about Jesus. I was coming from a Jewish background. I thought he was a good teacher. And it was people saying the C.S. Lewis argument of 
he, he couldn't have been just a good teacher. The kind of person who said the things that Jesus said, you know the rest of the quote, would either be a lunatic on the level of someone who called himself a poached egg, or he was. That bothered me for years mm -hmm. before becoming a believer. And I think sometimes the, the strategy is putting a pebble in their shoe, but getting under their skin. Let, let me so, just give you another illustration. Good, good. When, when Connie and I were on our honeymoon, uh, we, we were at uh, in Bora Bora. We stayed at the Hotel Oa Oa in Bora Bora. <laughs> and uh, the guy there was, uh, uh, you know, the, head, the owner of the place. Uh, we got talking to him. He started to know that we were in ministry. And he said, oh, I think Christianity is wish fulfillment. Wish fulfillment. Yes. Okay. You know, you, you kind of make up uh, things in accordance with your own wishes. And I said, you know. I think an equal or maybe better case can be made that atheism is wish fulfillment, mm -hmm. willing the death of the Heavenly Father, yeah. and that atheism is opiate of the conscience, and that atheism is a giant Oedipal complex. Oh my goodness. And This is on your honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, all I'm saying is that that neutralized, yes. and I, I, I could explain that and address it, but he'd never heard anybody Good. Uh, just uh, speak to it, and it really put that objection on the side so we can end up talking about other things. Yes, yes. All right, again, so I want to underline putting, putting the objection on the side. We don't, we, we never want to dismiss people's objections in a disrespectful, dismissive way, but there no. are some objections that are not the real issue, like you were saying, the, the branches rather than the trunk of the tree. So part of the strategy is discerning from the Holy Spirit and right. our thinking beforehand about, oh, Okay, um, that uh, let's let's discuss that another right. time. Or let, let me try to get that off of center stage. Well, the, the the you know there is a full case to be made, and I do make it in one of the chapters in C.S. Lewis's Apologetics uh, that you know really addresses this whole wish fulfillment charge by Freud and Feuerbach and yes. and others. And so there's a case you can make, but at least if you neutralize it in the beginning, mm -hmm. that that can help have it another conversation. Another thing that, uh, illustration from Chuck Colson, one time he was uh, on national TV with a uh, real star, a sort of late night show, and afterwards he'd, been, he'd mentioned the idea of absolutes in his discussion, and somehow he got the idea that this world-class interviewer uh, was struggling with that, and so he went off into a back room and uh, Colson gave every argument he could make against relativism. And he felt that the man really wasn't listening. But hmm. he kind of hmm. felt that if he acknowledged what Colson was saying, he'd have to become like the worst caricature of a fundamentalist. Huh. You know, and, and so he tried another approach. And this is something you could also do, but you have to do it wisely. That is use a personal analogy. Find something that that person cares about, that you know they care about if you know them well enough, and then use that as an analogy to be able to re, uh, be able to speak to them, like he said, he said you like to sail, don't you? And he said yes. He said, do you can you sail at night? Well, yes. Well, how can you sail at night? We have to use the stars. Well, why can you use the stars? Hmm. Oh, I see. You're saying we need some fixed points ah, good, by which good. we can orient ourselves. Right. Right. Ah. So somehow he'd gotten by a lot of the emotional baggage or the caricatures that were there and got down to the main point by using that personal analogy. Good.
And I think that's really important that that happened. In fact, Schaefer's main approach was to do that, but anyway. We'll return to my conversation with Art Lindley in just a moment. Uh, I wanted to point out that on our website, cslewisinstitute.org, we have uh, Art Lindley's basic apologetics course. If you go on our website and look for small group resources, there are 20 lectures and they are brilliant and a useful resource for you uh, to listen to as an individual, in groups, as a community group with your church. Uh, we highly recommend it. So now let's return to my conversation. And so it's, we come back to where you started about listening well, because if you're listening well and you find out someone's into sailing, and by the way, even if, if you know absolutely nothing about sailing, well, start asking questions and learn. I, I find that to be, first of all, it's a whole lot of fun to just learn about different things, um, but then to be able to use those things yes. in the same way, I think, wasn't it that Paul in, on Mars Hill looked and saw, oh, there's a statue a, 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 to an unknown god. Well, yeah. let me use that as, okay, you guys see that. You guys point to that. Well, God. Well, let me so, let, let me give you another couple. Sure, of keep going. Yeah, yeah. These are so no. These are very, very good. Again, because these are not just they're not just apologetic arguments. information or yeah. arguments. It's how do we strategically engage people so that they receive the arguments, not just have them plopped in front of them. Yeah, I had a friend uh, that was doing a PhD program in philosophy down at the uh, University of Virginia, and he was actually studying with Richard Rorty, and I could come back to that later or something. But anyway, he met a woman there who was from Jewish heritage, but she was atheist and a feminist. And basically, he said to her, said, I can prove to you you be believe in absolutes. Hmm. She said, no, you can't. He said, yes, I can. He said, yes, I, no, you can't. Yes, I can. I said, I said, he said, I'll give you two. One is Holocaust. Is wrong, and number two, rape is wrong. Hmm. She thought for a second. Said, "You're right." Hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there are a couple things that there are these things that I do think are wrong. Yeah, I'll give you one more illustration. Sure. Uh, this is <clears throat> Marty Kies, who is from Labrie in Boston. Uh, she and Dick, you know, have had a great ministry there through mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. ministry up close to Boston, and. Basically, what she does is she goes on to uh, sort of feminist camp campuses, campuses of colleges where there are large feminist groups uh, in New England or elsewhere, and gives talks on Christianity and feminism. Hmm. But what she essentially argues is that, that the chosen worldviews that many hold in feminism are not really adequate to uphold your very feminism. Hmm. And she'd argue that there's certainly, there are many, many things about feminism that they say that are right, like women have been treated poorly mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. abused and not regarded as equal in terms of dignity and worth and value, and they've been denied the vote and so on and so on. Uh, but atheism has no basis, no strong moral basis mm -hmm. to justify saying that that's evil. Uh, and interestingly, not only that, but the New Age movement has no basis to say that there's anything mm. really evil. And even the chosen personality, chosen philosophy of uh, many feminists is neo-paganism hmm. or the new Wicca or the craft because they focus on the goddess. But mm -hmm. even that has no basis to say that there's anything evil. Yeah, People rage against it, rage against the idea that there is really evil in the world. Hmm. On the other hand, uh, 
Christianity provides an adequate basis to say that evil is really evil and give a basis for justifying it. Yeah. And really, the history of feminism comes out of Christianity. Great. And she argues yeah. that the early Good. feminists, like Methodist churches, uh, were were believers. Hmm. And and Christians have done a lot to really help women like sati, you know, in uh, India, or foot binding, uh, and uh, s sexual slavery. Many of the leaders of addressing this movement are believers. So mm. believers have really fought, in many cases, for the rights and dignity of women Great. in many arenas. And so she argues that your chosen spiritualities don't have an adequate basis to even say these things are wrong. Mm. Whereas at least within Christianity that has its own checkered record with yeah. regard to treatment of women does have an adequate basis to be able to condemn the abuses that are really abuses. Good. All right. So again, I want to try to underline. Um, I have a couple of friends who have told me they've done um, uh, training in improv, improvisation. Mm -hmm. And one of the strategies in improv is the yes and strategy. Someone says something, and then you say something to affirm, yes, I agree with you, and, and, and I'm saying that the yes and strategy in apologetics can be, yes, I agree with you, women should be treated with respect. Right. Yes, I agree with you, women have been treated horribly, mm -hmm. and... Christianity has a basis that's even stronger than the basis that you're offering. Yep. Um, and I think the more we can, I'm sorry to call it play, that we could play the yes and. It also feels a lot better, I think, rather than always being on the no, 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 that's wrong. Here's why you're wrong. I mean, nobody likes being told that. So to be able to start with, oh, yes, oh, you're right. We should be outraged by that. Yes, you are right. That that that's just horrible, and and here's why. Right. As a Christian, I feel very strongly about that because all people, male and female, are created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect. And 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 so. And uh, I would say Francis Schaeffer, that was really at the essence of his approach. I mm -hmm. mean, basically, what he said is that you need to take the roof off. Yes. It's like you have a whole house. You take the roof off and you can see the configuration of the mm -hmm. rooms in the house and see how the person really lives and thinks and the things that they really care about. And then you end up pursuing that gently, but nevertheless firmly. Yes. And really, really ask questions to push that person without being belligerent uh, towards the logical conclusion of their false assumptions. Get yes. them to see where their worldview leads. That's essentially... What Marty Kaiz was doing in that case is she mm -hmm. was showing them that the worldviews you hold are not adequate to sustain what you know in your heart is right. You yeah, know? good. And so you try to uh, push them in that way, push them towards a logical conclusion of their false assumption. In fact, Schaefer said, if you had, say, an hour on a train to talk about faith to somebody, which you rarely do, but say you do, you spend 45 minutes exploring that person's worldview and mm. show them where their worldview is inadequate to explain or really address the things they most deeply care about. Mm. Yes, and I give you lots of illustrations about that, and maybe 15 minutes talking about faith in Christ Right. on the right. other side, because people need to see the need uh, for it, and they need to say, see that the, some of their own objections and their own worldviews are inadequate to really, again, address the things that they mm. 
most care about. You know, I, I love that illustration that Schaefer used about lifting the roof off. I remember yep. I, I've, I've gone back and reread that. Um, by the way, we've been trying to get him on the podcast, and he, ju <laughs> he just hasn't responded. We're very frustrated. But, uh, but that image of lifting the roof off to explore the worldview, he, he also talked about how that when you do lift the roof off someone's worldview, you're exposing them to some harsh realities, and it can be a very painful thing for people to have their roof lifted off. And so he said we need to do it with gentleness and even with tears. Yes. Um, I, I've heard at least one speaker one time talk about that, but horribly, he didn't say we need to lift the roof off. He said, you know, as Francis Schaeffer said, we need to cave the roof in on people. Oh, no. <laughs> and and I, I remember sitting there, no, that, that's, that's not, not what Schaeffer not, said. Not really right. Uh, we don't want to do that because that hurts. And it, 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 it's bad enough lifting the roof off that the pain they feel, but us, anyway. So uh, that is a very, very important strategy again. Let me just give you, uh, should I give you one more? Please, we're on a roll. <laughs> right. You're on a roll. This is great. <laughs> All right. Um, there's a guy I know that's been the state legislator over in Virginia. I could give him give you the name. No, no, no names. Not. Um, we'll just but, we'll uh, edit that out. But he was, <laughs> he was in uh, kind of going around Europe and really on a quest for truth. And, mm. But he was very much, this is way back at the time of the Vietnam crisis, and mm. people were looking for an alternative way to really live life and trying to overthrow basic assumptions and be a revolutionary, that kind of thing. And he was very concerned about the injustice, say, of the war and of other things that are happening in the society. Hmm. And But he was an atheist. And he ended up going over to Labrie, and I think it was Oz Guinness and others, Schaefer, hmm. that started uh, talking to him about this. And basically, he started to realize after a while that that his whole claim to justice and his basis to even uphold it was not there on, on the basis of his atheism. Hmm. So the very things he cared about most that he was preaching so much about, that he was so passionate about, yeah. were really undermined by his atheism. On, and on the other hand, it was, it was faith in God that gave him a real basis to justify the critiques he was making, that there was a solid basis to do so. And that, as well as other things, uh, led him to uh, come to faith in mm, Christ. And I, and I think it was a talk with Oz Guinness one, one night at Labrie that really helped close mm. the deal. And one of my good friends, Donald Drew, uh, went, uh, he went to Donald Drew and just told him, woke him up in the middle of the night, said, I've just become a believer. Oh my goodness. He said, well, I'll meet with you at six. We'll have our first Bible study. <laughs> you know, but... <laughs> now go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, good. so again, that's another illustration of some, how somebody fun, fun to, the things that they most care about were really undermined yeah. by the things that they believe. We'll return to my conversation with Art Lindley in just a moment. But I do want to point out, uh, we've mentioned or we've alluded to Art's basic apologetics course. It's on our website, cslewisinstitute.org. If you look under small group resources, it is a tremendous uh, resource for you as an individual or for a group that you're part of, perhaps with a community group within your church. Uh, please check that out. And while you're there, please also prayerfully consider joining us as a partner in ministry to click on the button that says donate. Now let's return to that conversation with Art Lindsley. 
Well, now this is all touching on. You have a whole chapter in your book. I think it's your book, True Truth, about、yes. mm-hmm. uh, when, when arguments, arguments fail. fail. Right, say a little lot, about that. Got a lot more to say. Okay. I mean, a lot more illustrations I could give. But well, we don't want to give everything away because no, we want、no. people to buy these books. <laughs> That's right.、Uh, buy the caseload. Yeah, exactly. Of fact. So <laughs> they make lovely presents. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can say a lot more.、Um, like Jesus was a master of doing this.、Mm. Uh, Jesus was a master of using questions. For instance, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.、Uh, often questions、uh, rattle around in people's brain longer than answers. Yeah, they、and、stimulate so, people's thinking in a in a more engaging way than just hearing statements. Yeah, and there are many examples of Jesus、uh, using these questions. But say, for instance, for instance, I think in the Good Samaritan is a classic good illustration、mm-hmm. of that. That. Yeah, for instance, it starts out.、Uh, what do I do、uh, to、uh, to inherit eternal life? The lawyer asks him.、Mm-hmm. Jesus says, "Well, how does it read to you?" And then,、hmm. and then he talks about love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. And says, "Go and do likewise." Yeah. <laughs> you know?、uh-huh. And the and then Jesus ends up eventually telling him the、uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. Right. And of course, it's quite clear answer. And he says at the end, which one of these proved to be a neighbor to the one in need? Which of the answers obvious? You know, it was the Samaritan was the、right. one that did it. In fact, the, the lawyer can't even get out the word Samaritan because、right. the Samaritan was a very hated sect, sect you might say, of Judaism. But the and, question, and, and then the answer、oh, that Jesus comes back and says,、uh, you know, the one who shows mercy, go and do likewise. Yes. But by asking the question rather than just stating it, so you see, the better one was the Samaritan. You know, so so who was the better? Or asking that question again drew it out of the 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 listener. Yeah, and so they ended up having to. That story, that parable, is like a mirror、mm. that allowed the、uh, allowed them to see, allowed him to see himself, the lawyer. Great.、Uh, Similar thing with the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. Prodigal mm-hmm. son is told to those who really despised those who, that were sinners. Yeah, and so you tell the whole pro- story of the prodigal son, and the prodigal son comes back, of course, the father embraces him. But then there's the、uh, elder son, remains outside, and the question、mm-hmm. is, is he going to remain outside? Yeah, and it's an yeah. unfinished story. Painfully so. Yes, and it, sh- it sheds the mirror. Yep. To the Pharisees and says. Who are you going to be like? You're going to、mm-hmm. be like the father that embraces、mm. uh, the prodigal son, or you're going to be like the elder who stands apart in his smugness. Yeah, and it doesn't really provide an answer. What it does is it ra- it could rattle around in their brain if they're open to hear it at all. Yes, and and really confront them with with who they are. Yeah, this was a rather so, large pebble in the shoe. Yes, and that's <laughs> that's the case with really almost all of Jesus' parables. Are that I mean、mm-hmm. they're in some ways weapons in controversy because they put a mirror up to see people. That it's、Good. not always clearly evident. They're not not just like nice stories. They're things that really help you see yourself. Good in a、right. clear way. Yes, like a、and、crowbar. So, yeah. So often、up. questions. If you ask a good question of somebody, sometimes you don't have to answer it if you have a good question.、Mm. It's a matter of wisdom as to know when to do that and when、yes. not to. Well,、But. I love the category that you've that you've elevated of when arguments fail, because I think a lot of Christians have, they've got great arguments and they've tried them, 
and they failed. And they walk away sort of shaking their head like, I, what else could I have said? I mean, it was a foolproof argument that he, that, that guy had, didn't have a leg to stand on, and, and yet it didn't work. Right. So it's not just enough to have this apologetic content. It's strategies and stuff. Yep. Um, well, um, well I, I have lots more questions, but uh, I think I think I want to wrap this up. So, so it, it's one final thought of uh, strategies or ideas that you haven't shared with us yet that you want to tack on. Can I, uh, can I give you two thoughts? Okay, two. <laughs> okay. I guess. He just asked a question. <laughs> okay, one. What am I going to say? No? One, <laughs> oh, please, tell us these two. <laughs> one, one is, uh, like C.S. Lewis said, reason is the natural organ of truth, but imagination is the organ of meaning. Mm. And that, that often you can approach somebody not just by argument, by, but by image, mm. imagination. In fact, that was part of C.S. Lewis' conversion. I mean, it was really his imagination was baptized by reading a story called yes. Fantastic. You can read about that in C.S. Lewis's Case for Christ or other places. Uh, and then, uh, secondly, his reason, his imagination was baptized, his reason was satisfied, mm. and then his will was submitted. So imagination is often the first uh, way you can reach somebody, like an illustration from a movie or a, a popular song or some other thing that, that you have in common with that person that's in the culture, sometimes can get that person to think about issues in a deeper way, kind of prepare the way for being able to discuss the issues that are there. So mm -hmm. uh, this idea of imagination Baptizing the imagination is the first stage Great. to really be able to uh, move somebody towards Christ is important. But, but I would also say that, of course, love is the ultimate mm. thing, that it's really your example that's going to make the difference. Like C.S. Lewis said at one point, what we practice, not save at rare intervals what we preach, is usually our greatest contribution to the conversion of others. And so uh, it's often even though C.S. Lewis did give arguments for faith, and he would go with Stephen Olford to evangelistic uh, settings where he would give an apologetic for, say, 20, 25 minutes, and then Olford would get up and preach the gospel. So he mm. thought it was important to clear the decks yes, uh, yes. by using uh, apologetics. But on the other hand, he did realize that the example and the kind of love we show towards other people is crucial. Yeah. Well, and that's a great place for us to finish, to wrap up, because uh, you have a whole book, Love, the Ultimate Apologetic, yep. and, and ultimate is, is indeed the right word there, and we must, uh, all of our conversations, discussions, they must be enveloped in, uh, in a love for people. So, Art, it's been great to have you on our podcast. I, I hope we've stimulated a bunch of ideas for our listeners of this whole idea about strategies for using apologetics. Uh, again, uh, thank you for, for being part of this. Thank you to those of you who are listening. We, as all of our resources and all of our podcasts, we hope this helps you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind.